Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Foll and thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for UX designer Anton Sten. Get phone calls from people that maybe I met five years ago and we haven't had the chance to work together, but somehow they just sort of remembered my name. Whereas when I started, I guess I had the idea that if you meet someone, you either get a project straight away or it's never gonna happen. It really takes time to create something that's viable. If it's a business or if it's a newsletter, it doesn't really make any sense. It's gonna take time. Building something that's strong and that will last takes time, basically. So yes, this week's guest is Anton Sten, not just any guest, but our 100th guest. This is the 100th conversation put out as a podcast as being freelance. And uh, no, I'm not going to get emotional, but seriously, thank you so much for listening and for sharing the podcast with people you know and leaving a review if you've left a review, checking out the vlog as Being Freelance has evolved. And I just really appreciate you listening. I love having these conversations, but I also love the fact that you get something out of it too. 100 episodes, which to be fair, I would have got to sooner if I put it out every single week. But hey, anyway, I'm I'm kind of proud of it. 100 episodes. And if you've not signed up to the newsletter yet, please do. It's at beingfreelance.com for a weekly bit of inspiration there. And also on Twitter at beingfreelance. It's nice to kind of, um, yeah, join in conversations on there as well. Right now, though, let's go to Sweden to freelance UX designer Anton Sten. Hey, Anton. Hey, how are you? I am well. Um, thanks for doing this. Uh, Thank you. What, what's the place you're from? It's near Malmo, isn't it? It is. It's called the Luma. It's it's a really small town. It's about 20,000 people perhaps living here. Cool. And Malmo's the one in the bridge. It is. If you're listening to this and you've never seen the bridge, hugely. Or, or what do you guys call it? You don't call it the bridge, do you? Uh, we call it Brun, which is just the Swedish translation for the bridge. Such a good show. Right. So let's hear how you got started being freelance. How have you ended up where you are? I guess the short story is that I've been working as a designer of digital things for the past almost 20 years. And I I started working for agencies for the first 10 years, basically. And then when we moved down here, actually, I just felt that I wanted to try something new. I also wanted to have better control over time, primarily. Mm-hmm. And just freelancing felt like it was something that I uh, always had wanted to try. And always sort of when I was working for agencies, always felt like I could do this better. I could do this in a way that would suit me better. So finally, I just uh, jumped ship, I guess. And I've been freelancing for almost 10 years now. Nice one. So when you say you moved out here, so how... Was that moving quite a long way out from where you'd been before? Uh, that was from Stockholm. Right. Okay. So quite a distance. So, so how did you go about finding those first clients, your your actual own clients of your own? Well, when we first moved down, I worked in Copenhagen for almost a year, um, and I got to know some people here, 
Also, I had quite a good network from my time working in agencies in Stockholm. So my first years of freelancing was primarily working for other agencies, basically. But then I guess as time went on and I, I got to know more people and I got some sort of a reputation, I guess, I hardly do any agency work at all. These days I just work for end clients, basically. Nice. So what did you, when you said, you know, from all that time in agencies that you could do it better? Yeah. What did you set out to do differently? Well, I, I started actually with the sort of idea or perception that I would eventually build an agency as well. But then as time went by, I just sort of realized that I'm not really interested in hiring anyone. And I guess that whoever I would hire first would sort of really set the tone for what kind of agency it would become. So both in terms of, of culture, but also in terms of sort of what kind of work we would do. So if I would hire a uh, WordPress developer, we would basically have to do just WordPress sites. If I'd hire a uh, iOS developer, we would just do iPhone apps. And I wouldn't want to sort of limit myself in, in that sense, I guess, because the work I do now is pretty broad. But also, I guess it would just being 10 years younger and being sort of naive on how easy everything is in terms of admin stuff, but also, I guess, just making things work. So, so I wouldn't say that today I'm as confident that <laughs> I, I, I can make everything better, but, but at least I could find a way that works better for me. Yeah, definitely. So did you come close to hiring somebody? Um, not really, no. I do have a couple of people still that I um, buy chunks of time from, so they're not hired but I have people that I've worked with for, for years, but they're also freelancers. So I think that's like a setup that works far better for me, at least. Yeah. So you can choose the people who suit the project rather than having to take projects because of the people. Exactly. Exactly. So, so you said there about the admin. So did, was it the, the admin that you, you hadn't necessarily seen behind the scenes at the agencies that suddenly crept up on you? Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's stuff that you see, like expense reporting and stuff like that. And you think that how hard can this actually be to just sort of pay out something? But there's also just so much stuff that you never see as, especially as a like designer in a fairly large agency. There's just so much stuff that you... <laughs> You never see that that when you start freelancing, you're just going to have to take care of yourself or find someone that can help you with it. What was it in particular and how did you get past that? I've actually gotten help for, for most of the admin stuff now. So everything like taxes and paying out salaries and stuff like that, because that's just something that I've found that it's not um, the best option for me to spend my time doing that. And I think that's something that I would have wanted to realize sooner, I guess, that the things that you're not particularly good at or things that you don't want to handle, just get help and focus on the stuff that you want to do and the things that you're good at, because you'll end up making more money that way and with less stress. 
Yeah, I find that with the finances side of it. Even having hired an accountant, I'm still like the actual bookkeeping side of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Something you you said was you know as as you went through the past ten years, as you realised your reputation grew and work was coming to you and so on. How did you go about building your reputation? Was it just organically, or was there particular things you did? Uh, I would say it's primarily or organically. Um, I would also say that it's just something that takes time, basically. One thing I guess I thought when I started was that everything would sort of happen faster, whereas I realized that it just takes time. And I still, I guess, get phone calls from people that maybe I met five years ago and we haven't had the chance to work together, but somehow they just sort of remembered my name and eventually they'll they'll call me back. But it can take a lot of time. Whereas when I started, I guess I had the idea that if you meet someone, you either get a project straight away or it's never going to happen. But I would say that the the biggest sort of marketing strategy, I'm not sure if it's actually a marketing strategy, but, but word of mouth has, has definitely been the biggest sort of client driving activity for me, even though it's not something that I'm doing it's it's more of sort of something that I just try to be easy to work with and then people will spread the word basically. And have you narrowed down like your I guess like a niche over the years like 20 20 years ago or even 10 years ago were you doing what you do now? No, no, not at all. And I would say that probably goes for anyone who's who's calling themselves a UX designer today that that 10 years ago, you didn't really discuss UX design in the sense that you're that we're having the discussion today, at least. And I guess as a field is emerging like that, that gives you an opportunity to sort of really position yourself as I know somebody who maybe pushes boundaries or is a uh, I hate using the word thought leader, but like an expert or something in in that. Is that something that you that you did? Absolutely, absolutely, and it's something that I'm, I guess, still trying to do. Um, as you said, the the sort of this part of the industry is, is growing quite quickly, and it's evolving in a sense that I guess no one could sort of understand just a couple of years ago. And just how UX design has has sort of grown during the last years. And now we're seeing all of these sort of voice controlled assistants that will open up a pretty new field for UX design as well. So, yeah, definitely there's the opportunity to position yourself, I guess. And that's something that I've been trying to do and, and will continue to will with, obviously. And how have you gone about that other than doing great work so for the past i would say two years two years ago i started blogging more and more i started blogging with the sense that it would sort of help me position myself better but what i've found is that it actually helps me think about the stuff that i'm doing more in a both in a sort of critical way but also on a philosophical way i guess Mm. then just writing the blog posts and and having a mailing list helps me position myself but also i've written two books over the past two years and that's obviously something 
that one of the reasons for writing those books has also been to sort of help position myself. So with your mail out, with your newsletter, uh, so that's yes. an extension of your blog, is it? Yes. How did you go about growing that, like p- putting it out there? Um, it started pretty basically. And I would say that the same thing with the newsletter, basically, as with everything else, that it it really takes time to create something that's viable. If it's a business or if it's a newsletter, it doesn't really make any sense. It, it's going to take time. And I think any of these blog posts that sort of want to tell you how to build a business that makes six figures revenue in like six months or, or build a mailing list with tens of thousands of subscribers in, in a month, it's not viable in the long end. Um, so building something that's that's strong and that will last takes time basically. So I would say that for the first almost year, I I think my mailing list had a hundred people and it started with just like 15 friends who then told some of their friends and who told some of their friends. And occasionally I had some blog posts who got some pretty good uh, viral spread. So people signed up from those. And yeah, that's the way basically to just sort of continue doing the work. And how often would you say you blog or put out your newsletter? Well, I started with having two posts every month, so bi-weekly. I'm now pushing myself to do it weekly, but I'm finding that it's hard really to find the time to to set aside a couple of hours every week just for for writing a blog post. But we'll see. It's also helping me a lot as a designer to just spend some time to think about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and um, what kind of problems I'm trying to solve, basically. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, it's an interesting byproduct, isn't it, of blogging and writing? Something I didn't expect, because I don't blog enough about my, you know, about video marketing and things like that. But when I do, I find myself analysing, you know, like, how, why does something work? And then trying to explain it to people really makes you look at something differently. And even with like doing yeah. doing the freelance vlog that I do, that has made me analyze what I do as a freelancer. It's it's not just documenting it. Exactly, exactly. And that that was uh, part of the reason. So the second book I wrote was was about freelancing and not user experience. And part of the reason for writing that was just to sort of take a step back, basically, and think about why I'm freelancing and. What kind of sort of things am I doing that I haven't really thought of why I'm doing them? And is there other ways to do some of the things that I'm doing and 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 stuff like that, basically? Yeah. Yeah. What's your, uh, what's your second book called? It's called Mastering Freelance. And very good it is too. Uh, I've read it and we will put a link at beingfreelance.com. I, I really recommend it. It's nice and bite-sized kind of chapters that you can you like you can easily read it you know like it's not like a huge tome it's it's like reading lots of nice blog posts yeah so so the first book i I wrote was actually uh, a selection of blog posts that i then sort of rewrote to be able to fit the language and fit them together basically but the second book mastering freelance was just written as a book basically 
but obviously with my background in, in writing blog posts, it's it's sort of the length that I'm confident with writing, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And I agree completely. I wanted to keep it short. Uh, I think that there's this misconception sometimes that a longer book equals a better book, which I don't think necessarily is true. And so your first book, that was about user experience? Yes. So the first book is called User Experiences That Matter. Do you feel like writing that first book had an impact on your work? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think if we want to go back to that discussion about sort of positioning yourself as a thought leader, I think that that book was really good in the sense that if I'm talking to a potential client, for instance, about helping them with UX design, and then being able to say that, oh, I've also written this book about UX design, and I'm going to send you a free copy. It really puts the trust in that conversation, I guess, for them to sort of see that, okay, this is someone who's obviously pretty serious about UX design. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really powerful, isn't it? And has that, I don't know, but has that led to, or maybe you don't want to, but have you been like speaking about the top topic as well? I haven't yet. I, I did a lot of speaking engagement a couple of years ago uh, before I started writing, primarily in schools and universities, but some sort of corporate gigs as well. I have just now actually sort of started thinking about getting back into that whole scene. So let, let's uh, reconnect in a year and see <laughs> that. <laughs> and then the second book, so that's that's obviously concentrates on mastering freelancing, as as we mentioned. And when you said you were writing that, like you were exploring how you were working as a freelancer, was there anything that sort of sprung out at you that maybe you hadn't thought about before? Like what was the key takeaway for you from writing that? Um, I, I think the key takeaway was to be reminded about all the things that I do know, but I'm not necessarily so good at doing. So for instance, not working all the time or making sure that I do exercise and sleeping well, like eight hours a night and stuff like that. It's it's all stuff that all of us know that it's incredibly important for our work, but somehow we all, or at least I, seem to forget it or just not do it on occasions. Yeah. What would you say? Have you been mostly guilty of doing a lot of, you know, that whole working overtime thing at times? Yeah. I would say working over time, that's definitely the drawback of being freelance. So so one of the reasons I wanted to go into freelancing was that when I was working for an agency, I always felt that I couldn't sort of understand why I would work overtime since I was getting paid the same amount anyway. Like I was getting the same monthly salary if I worked six hours a day, if I worked eight hours a day, or if I worked 10 hours a day. It didn't make any sort of sense that regardless of the effort I put in, I would get the same sort of end result, basically. Whereas with freelancing, obviously, depending on on how you charge your clients and stuff like that, but more or less, the more you put in, the more you get. 
so I would say that I'm better at not working overtime. Um, I, I would say that my biggest thing that I need to remind myself of is just all of the possibilities that I do have as a freelancer. Like if I want to go away during the day or if I want to sleep in or whatever, I'm the only one that can take those decisions. But I am not good at sort of allowing myself to do that, I guess. I end up doing the same kind of sort of hours that I would do in an agency, I guess, which is fine. But but I guess it's also important at occasions to remind yourself about the sort of luxury we have as freelancers. Have you ever struggled with taking on too much work? Oh, absolutely. I, I think all freelancers have. Especially when you when I have a couple of bigger proposals out, I'm sort of anxious that what if they all accept and I'm not going to be able to finish them all. But you, but you can sort of send them one at a time because it, it won't make sense time-wise. But in the end, it always somehow works out, I guess. Projects almost always get either pushed forward or uh, something needs to be done earlier or worst case scenario I have to work a couple of weekends but but in the end it always sort of works out. Has your website uh, you know if people go and look at your website antonsten.com now Mm -hmm. has that evolved much since you've been a freelancer? Uh, Yeah definitely Um, in the beginning I was also sort of positioning myself as a company more whereas now I'm more positioning myself as a person. I think that was one of the things also about sort of positioning is that it's just me, basically. Uh, So either you like my thinking about design and and things like that, or you don't. But it's Anton that you're going to get. It's not some company name. But in the beginning, especially, it was more sort of not using I, but always talking about we and stuff like that. And did you have an actual com- a company name that you were using? I did. Uh, and I still have the, the, the same company name. It's not just something that I sort of promote. So the, the company name is Le Petit Garçon, uh, the little boy in French. People seem to remember the name and talk about the name. But it was a pretty bad name when you're on the phone with someone and you want to spell out your email address. <laughs> yeah. And and so you, you chose that name. I, I mean, you did say when you started out as a freelancer, you kind of envisaged that you were going to build an agency. So is that why you went with a, na- with a name? Yes, yes. I guess I just had this sort of idea that it would seem more professional but but i'm not sure if if that's actually the case so over time you've just you've phased out you if you if you invoice it's still on there but other than that it's all just anton Anton exactly yeah exactly how have you coped with the financial side of being freelance so especially when i started that was a real stress for me um coming from from sort of the agency side i had a pretty good salary and I was able to put some money aside. But what I did, I guess, that helped me get started was that my first 
my first sort of freelancing job was actually I was sort of part time hired for for a client. In the beginning, I worked three days a week for them. So I could freelance two days and work for them three days. And then uh, over time, we made it two days, then one day a week. And then in the end, I was just freelancing. So that was a pretty nice sort of transition into freelancing. But during the first years, I, I definitely had some stress about the financial side. I did try to put away as much money as I could. And it wasn't, uh, I guess, until a couple of years ago when I just realized that, okay, I could I could probably continue living the same way and not get any work for like a year and I would still manage. And I, I don't see it happening that I wouldn't get any work for a, an entire year. So let's just try and skip the cash stress. But it is stressful. But but on the other hand, I mean, I think we also have as society this sort of wrong image of the securities a full-time position would mean. I mean, people get fired from full-time positions too, and, and that could put them potentially at even greater risk. So it's not like freelancing is this hazard game, whereas full-time positions are like the most secure thing you can have. But but obviously, you need to uh, plan ahead. And how about the way you work? Uh, I presume you work from home? I do have an office, actually. Um, I used to have an office in Malmö. So that was a 15-minute uh, commute. But I just recently actually got an office not at home, but just a short walk from home. I do need, I need to have a sort of very separate space. And I've found that it's good for me to have a space that outside of home, even if it's slightly better, it's still better to sort of be able to separate. And do you work with other people in those spaces? I, I used to, uh, I don't anymore. So I guess that's sort of my, uh, my biggest challenge now is to finding ways of staying social. Um, I, I do have my dog with me. So, so that's the social company I have in my office now. <laughs> They're great until it comes to making coffee. That's the only thing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true and one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay, so when I was a child, I climbed up a shelf um, and the shelf fell over and I fell on a coin that stood on its like head. So I have a scar on my cheek from that coin. <laughs> i tell you what, if that is a lie, that is such a convoluted lie. <laughs> but I love it. Okay, number two. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> So, so this is this is pretty um, hysterical since you mentioned the uh, the bridge and in the next uh, upcoming season of the bridge, I'm playing an extra as a Liverpool supporter. As <laughs> a Liverpool supporter. Okay. Okay. And, yep. And the third one, I have all the sort of music theory education needed to become a music teacher. Oh, these are amazing facts. So you could, in theory, be a music teacher. What's like your 
your chosen instruments? Uh, I played the guitar and I went to a high school that had a music focus. So one part of that was to get all the music theory needed. Hmm. But you've never called upon it. You've never had to teach it. No, no, no. And I'm not sure I would uh, pass all the tests today, but I did 20 years ago. You were in the bridge. Now that I love that show, uh, as we mentioned. So what did you have to do as a Liverpool? A Liverpool support is weird. What's it? Yeah. So Liverpool are playing in Malmo or something, are they in the in the scene? I, I, I don't know the scene, actually. I'm just so this, the, the thing is that I am a Liverpool supporter. Um, and I'm part of the Swedish Liverpool fan club. And they sent out an email saying that they've been approached by um, the production company and they would like some uh, Liverpool supporters to... We're, we're just basically walking past um, a cafe, but it was... Um, I, I'm not sure why, because I don't have like the uh, um, the full story, but it was important that we all were dressed in like Liverpool uh, shirts or scarves. Oh God, that feels so true as well. And when you were a child, you climbed a shelf, fell off the shelf, landing on a coin that was standing up that scarred you. Yes. I'm not sure if the coin was in like a jar or something on the shelf as well. Um, But I landed on it. And now on my, uh, let me see, right hand side, right cheek, there's a scar just like on the cheekbone. Have you ever made up a different story as to how you got the scar to impress a girl? I I haven't no no <sighs> I should know again. <laughs> These are we've not had a good scar story I don't think since uh, Harry Roberts very early on in this one where he looks a bit like Harry Potter. Okay, shelf live. These all sound weird. You see, if anything, the one which sounds the least true. Well, it sounds true, but I love the other two more. So I'm going to say. I'm going to say you're not qualified to be a music teacher. I am. Oh, man! So what's the lie? It's the the Liverpool supporter. Oh, God, that was so convincing. (laughs) I'm not in the show, but there there might be something about Liverpool in the next season. Well, I'm glad that the coin story is true, though, because that's excellent. Uh, it, it would be weird to make that up. It would be really weird, which, yeah, would also be awesome. Um, <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing, and other than please don't climb the shelf, if you could tell your younger <laughs> self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and I think that one thing that I would have liked to tell my younger self and that I would like to tell myself, I guess, every day today as well, is something that I think that was really good that Steve Jobs said in his commencement speech. And it was that you can only connect the dots looking back. I think for freelancers, we're sort of thinking that we can predict everything, how things are going to go and what's going to happen, but what we really can't. And, uh, in the end, everything will make sense, but it might take years. But but sooner or later, everything will just sort of add up some some way. 
Very nice indeed. Uh, make sure you go to beingfreelance.com, follow the links through to Anton's site, check out his book, thoroughly recommend it, Mastering Freelance, uh, which also you've, uh, you do a version which comes like with loads of templates and stuff as well, don't you? Like, is it contracts? And- yes, exactly. A bunch of templates is my invoicing template, uh, proposal template, stuff like that, yeah. uh, but also a uh, list of all of the software I use with along with some uh, discount codes nice yeah nice so, idea so, so especially if you're just starting freelancing um that that's a good deal and anton is kind enough as well to give 20 percent off go take a look and uh, you'd put in the code being freelance right Yes. Yeah. So put in the code being freelance, 20% off uh, the book. It's a bargain, uh, or you can get the book and the templates and stuff that we just mentioned as well. So follow the link at beingfreelance.com. And Anton, thank you so much. I forgot to mention, thank you for being a 100th guest as well. Oh, yeah. What an honor. I feel like there should be like balloons or streamers. Um, I've got nothing. I've not even got a coffee to hand. Oh, next time then. Let, let's make it, <laughs> let, let's make it guess, guess the, a thousand too. But yeah, a hundred yes. guests. Uh, and it's a great story to have as the 100th story as well. And some fine advice in there as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, beingfreelance.com. And don't forget to share the, the podcast with freelancers that you know as well. Anton, thank you. And all the best being freelance. Thank you, Steve. So there it is, the 100th episode. That means there are 99 other guests that you can go back to and listen to right now. And if you haven't done that, well, you might have missed stuff like this. The quickest hack for networking is to speak about whatever it is you're good at. People will always say like, oh, I have nothing to talk about. Honestly, you probably found that knowledge through extremely hard work. And it's worth sharing. If your hours are full, all you can do is raise your price, which you can only do to a certain extent. If I'm going to be doing this for the next 40 years, how am I going to make my income grow appropriately and make it something that I want to do forever? I had a really hard time thinking about even hiring a VA, just somebody to answer some emails or schedule something. I just thought, that's so dumb, I'll do it myself. But there's stuff that's got to get done and it can be better done by somebody else. To blog every day just to build up some momentum, basically. I was only supposed to do 30 days, but it ended up being over 200. Blogging has absolutely transformed the way I did business. Find all of those guests and countless more. Well, not countless, because you know it goes up to 100 and you can figure out how many were in that montage. But anyway, countless more at beingfreelance.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, find me on the vlog as well on YouTube, youtube.com slash Steve Folland. In the meantime, you have a great week being freelance.